my pleasure to be here today. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoying their con. You all having a good time? How many comic book readers do we actually have in the room? Come on, there we go. See, there are people that still read comics. So, Ajay, thank you very much for taking your time to join us here in Birmingham. Now, as you can see, there's a massive amount of Breaking Bad fans here. Uh, am I right? Everyone loves Breaking Bad. <laughs> when did you first get an idea of actually how popular Breaking Bad is? You know, our real first idea of how the show has grown, especially since we started and, and what it is now, is Comic-Con. These, these Comic-Cons really show us how much and how vast we've expanded from the first three seasons because when we first started no one really watched the show in the US. It wasn't really it wasn't popular. It, I don't know why, but people just were not into the idea of a meth manufacturer being the, the star of the show. Who who would have thought, right? But um about season four in the four uh, we, we, uh, we went to Comic-Con in the States, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and it was so massive. There was 6,000 seating room, and there were 7,000 uh, people in the room. So I don't know how they fit that. I'm, I'm very surprised we did not get shut down. Uh, but that's when we realized, when we came out, it was just such a roar that we, just, we had no idea that people loved the show so much. And we didn't have that fan base, and then the next thing you know, it just grew. So. And did that kind of change the pressure that you guys on the set felt? Because now you know you're a massive hit, the world loves you. Does that add pressure on yourselves? See, we weren't really thinking about that, though. Our main concept, and I think I, I can't speak for everyone, but how I felt about the show and what I loved about the show is we were a character driven story. We had an amazing group of people. We had an amazing cast of We had a crew of 500. We had 12 um, official main characters. Seven, and then it continued to grow. Uh, grow. And it was just such an amazing opportunity. And we were reading and loving what we were reading. The scripts, and I recommend anyone that uh, gets an opportunity. How many people have just started watching Breaking Bad? Awesome. This is what I like to see. I only see one. <laughs> How many people are watching it again, by the way? Yes, thank you, thank you. I recommend, if you're going to start watching it again, read, try reading some of the scripts. Read some of the, the, the pilot, especially, and that's my personal favorite episode. I, I love the pilot, I love how the pilot read. And that's the thing, is we were reading and working on amazing pieces of literature. Not many scripts are written like this, and especially written this well and still coming off as well as it did on screen. And we were very lucky to have that. So I don't think from, we were so scared that we were not going to give a good product because we already had a good product. And it just, we were loving what we were doing and playing these amazing characters. So. And did you, did you find that having such a good product inspires you to work harder as a result? Yes, of course. If you enjoy what you're doing, that goes for any walk of life, any job. If you like what you're doing, and you have a good product, you have a good story, you have this this part in it, apart from whatever you want, but if you have that, 
you want to give your best. You want to give your all. You want to have an amazing time doing it. And, and that's what we did. Is that we just we, we went in, we loved what we were seeing, we loved what we read. We had an amazing cinematographer, uh, Michael Fogus, that, that saw vision, Vince Gilligan, and, and many different directors that all came together and helped us create something that we just we, we loved. And that it was like a family. Okay, now I know there's plenty of Breaking Bound fans here in the audience, so I'm going to let you ask some questions. So if you would like to ask a question, I'll just take your help and I'll come around to you right now. Alright, I'm holding up. Who's been sitting in here for a while? Yeah? Uh, Y'all have lost three pounds in the last two minutes, right? <laughs> uh, Kevin, Nick? Are we going to see you a better call Saul? Uh, no, that would be a prequel. So I would be a baby or not even in existence. So I, I'm very excited though that comes out in the States around February, I think, beginning mid-February. Um, and Bob Odenkirk, which I'm sure all everyone knows, is just mind-blowing of what he's able to do and, and what he brings to that character. So I, I'm actually I'm really excited that he has his own film. It's going to be good. My question is Jenna here. Hello, um, Breaking Bad, there didn't seem to be a single weak link in the cast, and there were so many great characters played really well, but you were a lot of the time with the immediate family. Yes. Was there anyone who, that, any character that you'd have really liked to have done a scene with or did some extended work with that you didn't get to? You know, there's a few. I, I really like to work with Aaron's character, Jesse, um, and uh, Jack, Uncle Jack. That would be a fun character. That would be interesting because, does anyone know who Uncle Jack is? Okay, if you don't know, Uncle Jack is the, uh, the main head um, white supremacist. And he is an amazing actor, and he is nothing like that whatsoever. But you will, he comes across so intimidating, and he's really like the sweetest person you ever meet. But there's a few I didn't get to work with. I was happy closer to the end. I got to work with Gus uh, uh, Fring, um, John Carlos um, Cedino, and uh, Bob Odenkirk. I got to do a scene with him. So I'm just happy about that. And a question for Hi, I was just wondering, um, we've heard lots about the relationship between Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston. I was just wondering if you could speak about the relationship you had with Brian Cranston as both an actor and a character. No, I, we had an amazing relationship. Uh, we worked together for almost seven years, on and off for six months out of the year. And it was, it was a real family set. Everyone had their families on set. My, my little sister, practically grew up on set. When I first started, she was about two. And when we ended, we were about, she was about nine. Uh, well, like ten. Nine, ten, yeah, nine, sorry. Horrible with dates. So bear with me. Uh, so we, we spent so much time together. We, we really had an amazing family dynamic on set. And it, it just, it, was, it made it unique and it made it special. And Brian and Anna and Betsy and Dean and all the cast and crew helped make it that way. And it was really this this opportunity that we all had to, to grow as people. And we all grew in our own different directions and, and we, we were lucky to have each other. So. And a question from Iron Man here. In the series, uh, Walter Jr. always seemed to be eating breakfast. Are you as passionate in breakfast? As passionate about breakfast in real life? Uh, 
my blood pressure of breakfast is between 12 a.m. Uh, 20 and 24. That, that's where I eat my breakfast, between 12 and 6 a.m. That's where my breakfast comes into play. Um, I, I am a bacon fanatic, so I like bacon. That's about it. But check this out. How many, I have a question. How many times do you think one junior has had breakfast? Like, just give someone a number. I want to see if anyone gets it right. No, not even near. Uh, not even close. Five times. Literally, five times. You look it out, and one of those, I think, was lunch. So, it's entertaining. And you know what's interesting is what people gravitate towards. As a viewer, with my character, people gravitate towards breakfast because that was the only time in the show where no one was killing anyone, no one was selling meth, they were trying to burn down the house, or trying to melt someone. Like, like it, it was the commonest part of Breaking Bad, if you think about it. And it, it's interesting to see what people gravitate towards when they're watching series. It, it, it's something that is a piece of who you are that you gravitate towards in all the characters. Another question from Jacob here. Um, a quick question. Would you feel that um, Walter Jr. secretly wanted to take over the family business? Personally, yes. Uh, Character-wise, no. <laughs> I mean, it all varies. But the thing is, is how do you really know what Walt Jr. was doing when he wasn't home? He might, he might have, I, I think he had his own um, brewery somewhere. But. Uh, but it would be it would be fun. I always think of like a Grand Theft Auto Walt Jr. with uh, shotguns and the crutches. What do you think? Do you know what that? And we have the person here off to the side. Pretty nice to say question actually, but hypothetically, how good a, a math coach do you think Walt Jr. would be? Um, I think he had very good balance. Would be extra help. I don't know. I I don't think he'd be 99.9% pure, but I I think he would. I think he gets something from his dad. Who who wouldn't inherit a little bit of chemistry knowledge, especially when you go to the same school that your dad teaches chemistry in. So. so. And question from Ryan. Is there any way you would have liked to see the series end besides how we saw it? See, this is the thing. It's yes and no. I personally, I love the ending. The ending is... Who, who enjoyed the ending? Awesome. Who did not like the ending? Yeah, we'll get out. <laughs> no, I, I love it because in this real twisted world, at the same time he is doing these pain attacks, but he still redeems himself in this weird, twisted way. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of how it happened. I love being 16 for Trump. Sorry for ruining it. Um, I, I, I love how it ended. I love how he redeemed himself, yet he, he just killed a ton of people, cops are coming to arrest him. Uh, so I, I think it's twisted, but I think it's, it could have only ended one way. And that was that was him sacrificing himself to redeem himself because you have to keep in mind he has killed hundreds of thousands of people. He, he's killed like 177,000 people himself, not including the thousands or millions of people that he was killing with methamphetamine. 
So you have to think about how destructive meth is in this world. And, and people that, I, I, I grew up on a show about methamphetamine. So I learned a lot about it. And methamphetamine is one of the most destructive drugs out there. There, there are a few other drugs, but meth in particular is a very dangerous drug. And it is not something to, to, to play with. It's not something that you try once. It's something that you try and you're hooked for life. And you're never the same. And it destroys families, it destroys lives, it destroys yourself. And it's so interesting because all this that he was doing, he, in his own way, redeemed who he was and, and why he started this. He may have done it for himself, he may have started it and went off tracks, but in his own way, he, he created his own track and he, he, he rerailed himself onto a different track. So. Alright, the question again from here. What do you think it would have been like if uh, Justin would have been at Walt Jr.? Do you think it would have been a long time? I think they would have... Yeah, see, this is another thing. And then that, see... Because technically, Walt Jr. got pushed to the side and the new surrogate son rise up. And it was the son Walt never had. And I, I don't know how Walt Jr. would see that as being his son and, and seeing all this time he spent in the relationship that formed with with Jesse and Walt. Because if, if they met, he spent every day with Jesse for how many years? I mean, how long do you think he did that with his son? They didn't have that bonding experience. And I think there'd be resentment in that and to uh, Aaron's character, Jesse. And, and I think that play a big factor character-wise. I would hope they would get along for the joint, but you never know. Okay, the person here, lady in the back. Uh, hi, uh, do you think that what Junior would have would have been affected by what his dad's son, or do you think he would have forgiven him at any point? See, this is the thing, is with everything that happened and all the lies that are going on, I, I don't know if he could forgive them and, and forgive what they have done and how many times that they have started to tell him a story and the story shifts and it, it's lying and he sees a lie for a lie and he knows what's happening. He just doesn't realize the severity of what's going on and, and what they are doing and how many lies are being told just to everyone. And I, I don't know, that's the hardest thing. I think right now, uh, I think they're having some mental anguish about this, especially Junior. So. And we have a question for Jen at the front. Hi. Um, most of the other characters have a sort of good and a bad side. And they morph from sort of good to evil, and good and back again. Apart from your character, which always stays a good guy right at the end. And I was wondering... He's still beer. Try. I was wondering, when all that money, that big pile of money on the table, when it finally comes through to all the juniors, what do you think you'd have done with it? I don't think you'd accept it. I, 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 think, I think the one thing he does take away, uh, one of the main things he does take away from his family is the stubbornness and that pride that Walt has. And I think that pride, along with Walt, would get in the way of that. And I don't think out of, out of pride and spite, I don't think he would, he would accept that money. I don't think, like, that's not who he is. 
It was never about the money for Walt Jr. It was only it was only about the money for Walt and, and Skyler's character or Anna's character. Skyler. It, that's where the money was. Jr. didn't care about the money. He just wanted his family back. And I think after the remission of the cancer and after everything that happened, he was so happy to have his family, to have the people in his life, and to, to see them, and then to get them all ripped out once again. And I think it, it, it's it's traumatizing for anyone. And I, I think out of that, he would not accept the money, and he would he would even even in the position they are now. So. And Ronnie at the back, from a gentleman here. How intimidating was Brian when he got into character He was intimidated, but he wasn't at the same time, though. He, he's a very, he's a talent. He, he knows what he needs to do to perform, and he's very welcoming and a warm person. And, and, and that was everyone on the set. I, I think, um, I think the bad guys were, I think, the most intimidating out of all of them, and, and I think they were the nicest too, but I, I, Brian and Anna, they were very welcoming and warm, and we were just, we were happy to have a, an amazing piece of art to work on, so. And we have a question for you right again. What was the hardest thing to shoot? I, mean, I don't know. This is this is the, this is the other issue that I have. I I didn't find any of it was hard to shoot. I it, it, they had their challenging moments where you had to get to the emotional level. I, I think that was a lot of the hardest the hardest part was getting to that level to, to to release. And then, but at the end of the day, it wasn't hard to shoot. We were not. Filming on a hard show to shoot. Everything was written for us. Everything was there, and the script, the story was there. We just had to bring it to life. And, and when you have a story like this, and you have something with this type of just this type of uh, of writing, you can just you can go and put it up, and, and you you know it, you see it, you just know it. You know what you need to do. You know what that character needs to do, and you can bring it to life. And you can try to you try it. You never know until the viewers watch it. But uh, I didn't find, like, there were their own challenges, but it wasn't difficult to shoot because we were loving it. We were loving what we were doing. So. I have a question for Lady Hick. What do you think happened to the family after last episode? Uh, Section 8 housing. <laughs> um, I really, that's the thing, when, when it comes down to methamphetamine, and it comes down to any type of uh, well, empire business like that, um, DEA, when DEA comes in, they don't just take the money you made. They take everything. Anything and everything. Anything they can think. They, they let you grab a pair of clothes and they say, get out of your house. Because they own it. They essentially repossess everything you have, your clothes, your food, anything and everything you've ever bought in, in your life. You can bring a bag and that's about it. And I think when it comes down to it, they're, they're trying to just grow and live their life after all this devastation. So. And you mentioned working on Breaking Bad for something like six to seven years. During that time, what kind of did you learn about yourself as a person? I, I learned a lot of different things. Like one of the, the things I learned that very early in the show was everything that I overcame in my CP. I, I have super quality, if no one knew. 
Um, I was born with it. This, I grew up with it. This is all I knew. This is, this is who I am. It's what I am. And I started working on show. Really, first off, this should be breaking down. It said mom, she was palsy. It practically described me. It said brown hair, uh, dark hair, big eyebrows, and mom, she was palsy. And I was like, perfect, this is me. And, uh, and I went in and I auditioned and I auditioned five times before Los Angeles and, and once in New Mexico. And I, they called me and I got the part and I was just enamored with it. And I got on set and they, they, I was presented the crutches and it was a good reminder of everything that I had to overcome with my disability and what I could have been with my disability. Because the odds of me embracing and crutches were very high, and I didn't want that for myself. I didn't want to have to rely on that. And I worked a lot of hours to, to overcome this and, and to take my life back. And it was interesting because uh, they, they put me they put me in the crutches, man. I, I, I tried my whole life to get out of them, and I cannot escape it. Uh, but it was an amazing eye-opener, and I was lucky to have that. I was lucky to see where I could have been and what I could have been. Right, yeah, so. And we have a question here towards the back. Uh, what was your favorite scene to, to film? I, I love the pilot. It sounds so interesting, but I love the whole pilot episode. That's definitely my, my favorite to film and my favorite to, to be a part of. We, we really we had a lot of fun. It was a, it was a very groundbreaking episode for, for the show. And I enjoyed it. So. And we have a gentleman here. In the end, after a scene, I'm not sure if Walter actually loved Walter's movie, but he felt bad for actually turning down and seeing how Walter was in the end, and how Walter was like, upset, well, was upset by all his actions, and the anger. I think the biggest thing that came down to why Walter was so upset at the end was how he was told, and how they came to tell him, because if Walt came, or Jesse came to tell you, by the way, your dad is a, uh, a meth chef, uh, like, it would just be how they told him, and what they were telling him, and how they told him, and the pain that Walt would have paid for him with this, and, and showed him and tried to convince him that this was the right move, that this was a good idea, but Betsy told him, uh, 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 uh uh, Marie calling him and uh, in silent and it wasn't a enlightening symphony like Brian's character would have said to him and the manipulation that would have happened but it was true it was the most truthful conversation that anyone has had with Walter so all those lies that they were telling him over the years just collapsed the foundation that he thought was there was, was gone there is no foundation so everything he did just got ripped right out from under him. And it, it, it devastated him. And I think if it was any other way, I think he, would have, he wouldn't have blown up the way he did. But he knows now how it's affected. He knows he's killed people. He knows he's done horrible things. And, and all the lies on top of that, you, you can't always forget, even if it's your father, you can't, you can't forget. That's the one thing about this world, and, and you can always move on, you can always grow from that, and, and, and take what you have, and learn, 
and, and hold that, but you will never forget what they have done. You'll never be able to erase that past. And I think that comes into effect of who Walt Jr. is and who uh, Walt is. And I think the, the correlation between the two, they're very similar in their own rights. And I find that it would be a struggle. So. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that. 
But um, I, I originally I shot a music video with my buddies. I've known them for probably eight years, and I met my buddy Corey, and we became very good friends. And he called me around ten or eleven, going, "Yo, I'm over in the valley. Can you come to? Can you come do this music video shoot? It's still Panther. I'm like, "Of course I'll come." Still free, full suit from the award show that I presented at. And I'm like, why not? What's the worst thing I got? And I get there and everyone just going, man. It was, it was a good time. We had fun. So. And by the way, if anyone is still Panda fan, they are some of the most nicest people you will ever meet. And uh, that, that hair doesn't, that hair doesn't hurt either. So, <laughs> you know, if you're into that sort of thing. Hello, uh, I was just wondering, like, how do you feel now that you're part of the nice, like, TV show that's, like, ever been nice? It's nice, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I enjoy it, we, we had fun, and I'm just happy that we have an afterlife. Because most shows don't get this, most shows don't get to continue to, to live on. And we, we are, we're continuing to live on, we're continuing to grow. And, and every day, new viewers, who, who just started watching Breaking Bad in the last couple of months? I, I'm serious, a, a number of people that are in this audience, I, I find it, it's amazing that people are now just tuning in and they're still growing and striving and we don't, most shows don't get that opportunity. So, I'm, I'm happy to live on through that and just keep moving forward, so. And we're right towards the back, and we've got a lady here. What was your favorite bit of being in college Breaking Bad? Uh, having a regular job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, no, I, my favorite part was actually having good scripts, good product, a, a good, a good all-around team. That's the thing, it's really hard in this industry to have that. If we were one in, in, a, in a billion to have what we had, to, to have the people that were on the set, to have the crew and the cast and everyone that came together, this did not happen. Especially where everyone still likes each other. Like, that, that never happened in television. And we all love each other and care about each other. And, and we, we've had just this amazing time creating an amazing product. And not a lot of people get the opportunity to have this, and, and we're lucky. So I, I'm, I'm definitely blessed to be able to say I'm a part of Breaking Bad. And we have a question for me. I've got a gentleman here, sir. Yeah. Okay, I'll give the mic to you for a minute. Okay. Uh, good afternoon. Um, good day. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, as you said, you have cerebral palsy and you're playing a character who also has cerebral palsy. Now, I read somewhere that you had to unlearn a lot of what you obviously learned in your, over the years um, to play Walter Jr. So what's it like when you're offset out of character having to obviously readjust to being yourself again as opposed to your character? It, it's, it's hard but not hard at the same time. I'm, I'm pretty good at resetting my body. Um, just trying to pop, I like to think of myself like an action figure. I just pop myself back into place. Um, but. It, it takes time, and when I was doing Walter Jr., I, I did regress a little bit because using crutches and, and the way I have to walk and the way that I have to talk would affect my speech and affect how I moved and, and what I did. And that's the thing is, I was I was like I was pretty tall without my crutches, so when I when I got down and I get down there, I was I I tried to be shorter 
as possible, as short as possible. And uh, it was challenging, but I think that's part of being an actor. I was lucky enough that people believed, a lot of people believed I couldn't walk properly or, or really talk as well as I do. So I, I found it amusing when people would be like, Where's the, you can walk? You know, yes, I can walk. What about you? Can you? Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I, I just, I grew up with this, so I, I knew what I needed to do when it came down to my, my character, what he needed to do to, to try to make it as believable as possible that I needed them. And I, I, I'm really big into, into a character-driven story, not a story-driven character in a sense. Because I find it very important that characters live their own lives. And, and I like when playing disabled characters, and there's so many times you are like with a stigma of a disabled character, and I find it is an opportunity to, to step into another light, to step into another life. And I, I don't always, uh, I don't like to play me. I like to be, I, I don't like to be me. I like to be other people. I think that's, as an actor, I think that's just, why a lot of people do it because they're not always wanting to see themselves. They want to see another person, and that's what I love. It, it's not being me, and I, I, I enjoyed that part. And the one thing that I do love, and there's there's two things about this industry that I love. There's only two. I, I love being on set, and, and I love meeting amazing people. And this job gives me that opportunity. I get to go and be another person and create this world that, that in my character's life exists and I get to be in this world and through this I get to meet so many amazing people like, like I, I met today and on set and off set and I, I find the opportunities that come from it are, are unlimited especially with an open mind and willing to do almost anything. So, I, I find you can get yourself into many places with this. We've got time for about three more questions. Start with this lady here. Hi, I was just uh, wondering, like, a lot of people here, what you've got planned for the future, like, what projects you've got coming up, or are you just taking a nice road? I have a few, no. I, you, the one thing about this industry is you cannot take a break. The time, when, you, when you become, when you flatline and you stop, someone else already takes your job. It's the nature of the beast. It, it happens, and you always have to continue to propel yourself and, and continue to move forward. Um, I, I've been working on quite a few different projects, and uh, did anyone watch Switch to Birth? It's on ABC Family America. Um, it's an amazing show. It's about these two sisters that, um, where I get, uh, where I wonder, Switch to Birth. Hmm. But, um, but it's all, a lot of it is in sign language. Um, one is hard of hearing and one is not. And I, I've been lucky enough to, to play a character on that. Um, I actually, so check this out. I, I'll tell y'all, um, I, I have three characters I've played recently. So I was on crutches on Breaking Bad. On Switch to Birth, I'm in a hand wheelchair. On uh, this movie that I shot just called Who's Driving Dog, I'm in a motorized wheelchair. So I'm looking for my next role to be in a coma. <laughs> I, I, would really, I would really just like to be able to go to, go to work, lay down, shoot my seat, get up, and walk away. The only thing is bed sores hurt. We um, wouldn't have never had one, they're not fun. Um, and it's not as fun sitting in a chair all day as it sounds. 
And it, it's a really nice way to, to get it. I, you know, on Twitter Birth, I play a character named Campbell Beeman, um, who um, had a snowboarding accident, and um, he severed his, um, his vertebrae, and he is paralyzed from the waist down. That um, works uh, at Free Clinic in the States, and uh, it's, it, it's, that's, that's just, he's Campbell. Like, it's not about his chair, it's not about his injury, it's just about the story. And, on this movie that called Who's Driving Doug, which uh, I shot in August, uh, so we'll see how long that comes out. Uh, but uh, I play a character with muscular dystrophy. Uh, does anyone know what muscular dystrophy is? Awesome. So muscular dystrophy can it, it has a bunch of different side effects. There's a bunch of different forms of it. Um, it it's, it's it's from birth. It's um, it's a, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure um, it's uh, genetic, one of the, one of the strains, I'm not sure. Um, some of them are and some of them aren't. But um, my character is actually modeled after a real life character named uh, Michael Carnet, that is the writer creator of this movie. And it was, it was a really amazing eye-opener to see uh, what it's like being a child and especially working because on Twitch of Birth I was in the set and, and everyone understood disability and everyone was been around disability so when, I, when I'm in the chair people, I've never met to a point I think I'm in the chair and, and they treat me uh, uh, normal, they don't treat me like I'm, like I'm disabled and it was interesting shooting on uh, Who's Driving Doug, we were shooting all across um, cities and we shot a lot of Vegas with people didn't always know I was in a chair and, and the way I held myself because with it, uh, a lot of times they, they fuse the vertebrae and they put a metal rod in your spine and they fuse it because you can't really lift your own body. You don't have the, the muscle strength to do it. And uh, my character can only lift five pounds. And uh, I'm trying to, I was trying to convert that area to telegrams, but my, my math is not good today. Um, but People look at you differently when you're in a chair. I find this very interesting to see because I grew up, I grew up with, my, my grandfather had a stroke when I was very young and he was fully paralyzed on his left side. So I grew up seeing him in the chair and, and being around people in chairs and, and that never struck me as odd. I grew, grew up with this, I've known this. But when I was in the chair and I was seeing how people were reacting and how people saw me differently, and how people would talk to me differently versus when I could walk, and I find it's very interesting because we live in a realm of fear. We, we don't know it, but we do. And we have fears for so many different things without even consciously knowing. But if you can step out of that realm of fear and, and talk to someone and get to know someone, no matter what they are, chair or not chair, but if you can do this, you can find and open yourself up to a whole other world that you have no idea exists. And I, I find people, when it came down to it, people were scared of the chair. I don't know why. They, I, I thought they might as well run them over. I, I thought about it. I mean, it didn't cross my mind. It crossed my mind a few times. But I, I find it interesting because so many people dwell on this fear of so many things. But if you can look past it, you can grow in so many different directions. But um, apart from that, I shot a movie not too long ago called Dixieland. Um, Chris Zilpa is in it, um, uh, Riley, um, I'm, oh, I just drew a phone call today. Um, uh, Riley, she's in um, a few shows, or, uh, a few movies, the, the Runaways, and, and a couple others, and, and it's going to be, I play a small part in it, 
but it's going to be good. And, and all I got to do, I chilled in a strip club for two days. There's a non-disabled character, and I just, uh, I sent someone to their death, and I chilled in a strip club. I mean, like, what, what more could you ask for? But um, I, I'm lucky. I, I'm always moving forward. I, I leave tomorrow for, uh, no, Sunday for London. I have a few uh, meetings. Try to get some more work over here, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, but just, it's never a dull moment. I'm very impressed with the way you spoke and answered that last question. I'm almost embarrassed to ask this one. No, but well, here it goes. If in some bizarre alternate universe, Walt Jr. met Malcolm in the middle, and they discovered they had the same father, what might they say to each other? <laughs> I, I've never been asked that question before. That is an awesome question. I like this. Um, I, meeting Frankie, um, you know, for a, a couple of times, I, he's such a cool dude, and like, just a nice, genuine person. Like, it was really a pleasure to meet him. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, it'd be like, um, <laughs> that's something. I have no idea what would happen. I guess it would be kind of, um, like, you? Like, you know that exchange where they just you? Like, her? You're cheating. <laughs> I, I don't like, I think it should be a bunch of questions. Uh, that'd be interesting. I have no idea what would happen. I really don't. Wow. Thank you for uh, stopping me. How's it going, man? I have a final question for this young man here. Have you ever rewatched Breaking Bad? Uh, just look at yourself. No. Damn, I'll accept Oh, God. No, I, I do this. I run out of the room. I actually, I have never officially watched Breaking Bad. I've seen the first episode of every season because I was forced at the premiere. And I saw the last one because I was forced at another premiere. But I do not watch the show, man. I avoided like a flag. And I, when like, people go in like, hey, look, you're on. I'm like, ah, get that away from me. And I smile. I'm like, no, not having it. I really, I don't like how I sound. Like, I can't really hear me right now, so I don't know how y'all can stand it either. But uh, I don't know. I just don't like how I sound. I'm not a fan of how I look. Like, I just don't like it. I don't even like to look at photos. I don't know why. It just, it's not my thing. But um, I avoid it on the play, man. It's not... Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please give me a massive vote to the fantastic. Oh, okay, yeah. It's all time.